Do you have an interest in Masonic education? Think about how it has transgressed and improved throughout the years. What if there was a group of brothers that got together every year to discuss Masonic education specifically and how we can improve it and make it more worthwhile in lodges? Well, we have a brother here with us this evening that's going to talk about a convention that meets every year that does just that. The history behind them, where they're at now, and where they're planning to go to improve Masonic education all throughout our jurisdictions. Stick with us. We have an amazing episode lined up for you right after this on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. And now, enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm Alex Powers, your host, and we are back here with Brother Chad Kapinski, once again, a alumni member of Historical Light. Brother, thank you so much for joining us. And if you wouldn't mind, for those who may have not seen your previous episodes, uh, give us a little bit of info of just who you are and your role in Masonry. Um, <clears throat> excellent. Well, first off, hello again. Thank you for having me on. It's always a wonderful dude back here to to talk to you. Um, I am something of a has been, uh, truthfully, and uh, delightfully so. I am a uh, my name is Chad. I am uh, a member of lodges in the Grand Lodge of Ohio and Grand Lodge of Wisconsin. I'm a past master of Harry Youth at 25 in Athens. I'm a past district education officer and district deputy grandmaster of. 17th Masonic District. I am the immediate past chairman of Ohio's Grand Lodge uh, Education Committee. Uh, my one sort of current role is I'm currently the president of the Midwest Conference of Masonic Education. In general now, I find myself in, um, I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of just sort of working with different jurisdictions and different lodges, just uh, really kind of trying to um, get people connected to um basically get good ideas in the hands of good people. That's kind of what I get to do, which is the fun part of masonry. Um, not that I didn't mind when, you know, you have a fancy apron, but when masonry goes from being have to back to want to, man, it's amazing what you can get done. Yes, it is. That's a beautiful point. And for <laughs> those that may have missed the uh, previous episodes, we had a really good one out where we managed to talk about chickens for an entire hour. So yes, we did. Yeah, we did. I, I I thought we were going to pull that off for about 10 minutes. We went on for... Uh, yes, and you were wonderful. Uh, and, uh, you know, and the fact that basically we sort of relied on both of our abilities just to kind of babble on forever, you know, is, is delightful. I, I do have to ask, though, do you have an April Fool's episode planned this year? Man, you know, is, it, well, go ahead. it wasn't even planned last year, so... Uh, it's... No, it really wasn't. No, it was just kind of spur of the moment, but right. you know, having you on for that and seeing how well that episode went over, having you back on to actually cover some uh, Masonic history uh, just goes to show that uh, you and I can have a great conversation together. And right. I'm really looking forward to our conversation this evening uh, in general, but also to learn a little bit about the Midwest Conference on Masonic Education, um, because it, it's a really interesting uh, convention that has some cool Masonic history and has kind of been brought back to life in many ways, especially over the last few years, we've seen it doing some pretty amazing things. So I'm excited to get into that. But before we do, uh, I definitely want to give a huge shout out and thank you uh, to all of our Patreon supporters uh, who help us keep doing what we do here. Uh, we've been on the air since 2016, and we are purely devoted to Masonic history. So if you like what you see here, you can jump over to the website, historicallight.com slash support and support us through Patreon. And we have some really cool uh, support levels there where you can get some exclusive lapel pin and breast jewel designs and much more. So go check us out and support us on Patreon. We appreciate it. So brother, I am... Do what now? I'm, I'm an ambassador. That sounds cool. 
hey, hey, you can do it, man. You can do it. Just jump over the website. We'll make it happen. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, you're good. So you have been involved in this Midwest conference for how long now? Honestly, probably only about five years, maybe five, six years. Okay. Um, it's one of these things that um, it, it's an odd conference. And I'm going to tell you why. For probably the first 50, 60 some years of its existence, it really was only open to, available to the, uh, the Grand Lodge, like the Grand Education Officer or the Chairman okay. of the Grand Lodge Education Committee of the member jurisdictions. And the idea was to get those, whatever, 12, 24 people into a room so that they could they could share best practices. They could kind of, you know, update on what each other is doing. It really was meant to be a, you know, a yearly think tank of, you know, the, the smartest of the smarties, for lack of a better word. And so it wasn't something that was necessarily on, on my radar as I was you know, doing whatever I was doing. But once I did become the education chair um, for Ohio and uh, attended the conference, I met some outstanding gentlemen. And some of them you may know. Um, I met a gentleman named Spencer Hammond. I met a gentleman named Scott Dubal, Chad Lasik, uh, RJ Johnson. I don't know if, you ever, if you've met him or know him at all. Um, doesn't ring a bell. Uh, he's... <laughs> Short guy, built like a fire plug, runs AMWs all throughout the Midwest. Um, there we go. You know, now I know. I think it's branching out into Dairy Queens now. So, anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm not sure what to, what to see what he's, what he's up to. Anyway, but I met them in Iowa, and I think it was in 2019 or so. And there was a group of people there that started talking and just realizing that we needed to change the focus of this particular conference. Um, Midwest has, Conference of Science Education has been around since 1949, and really it was, like I said, the smartest of the smarties in a room. Sure. But those who started really with that group, and it was Scott Dubal out of um, Illinois really was um, one of the first to do that, Josh Thompson out of uh, Missouri, um, realizing that all... Masonic education, I mean, all Freemasonry is local. And there is a danger. And I may get in trouble for saying this, but there's a danger when you have just the guys, um, you know, at the head of the table in a room. There's a danger to that. Sure. Because you can get in that bubble. And the whole idea of the conference is to kind of get outside that bubble. And the more people you have in the room, at the table, the the better the ideas become, the better the ideas get exchanged. You find you find these common problems, but then by talking and testing these solutions and just, you know, again, getting all the good ideas that are out there, you find those individualized solutions. And so you know, thank you for those kind words. It's been very intentional for the last, let's say, five years or so to, for lack of a better word, um, increase the size of the table, get more people uh, in the room. Because, because um, like I said, there's so many phenomenal ideas out there, and so many voices that need to be heard, that it needs to those people need to be heard. While also, in a in a way, uh, making sure that we do pay attention and do remember that the original focus of the conference was to get jurisdictions to connect and exchange ideas, mm -hmm. and I mean, you have to serve you have to serve both. So. Which is important. It's an important factor for sure. You know, the Midwest Conference has kind of a special place in my Masonic journey um, because it was my first speaking gig outside of just a lodge. Uh, it, it was rather early in my Masonic career, and they were hosting it in Kansas that year. And I'm trying to recall, it must have been probably 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. Um, okay. But they had me do a, a lunchtime presentation, and that was my first exposure uh, to the Midwest Conference. I'd never heard of it before, never seen it before. I was you know, very young as a Mason. And the concept really struck me. It was a really neat thing. I mean, that early on, I'm you know, just really grasping this Masonic education thing and diving into it. And to see the, the interjurisdictional aspect of it was exciting to me, for sure. 
if you wouldn't mind, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the Midwest Conference and kind of where it came from in the origins? Well, um, this is one of those things that, like, I'm going to have to paint with some pretty broad brushes here because sure. it started in 1949. I mean, this we're looking at 70 plus years of history. Um, right. The genesis really was um, the fact that we, we, I, I'm saying we, but I mean that these member <laughs> jurisdictions recognized that education was important, that there, and that, um, that we needed to have a way for jurisdictions to one, know what each other is doing from an educational standpoint, two, um, find a way to get get names out there. Granted, this is the 1940s, 1950s. And so it isn't like today where you just kind of hop on a website and find, you know, Alex Herbert or find, you know, Jim Hall or find, you know, somebody like like this. I mean, if if you were in that bubble, nobody really knew who you were. Um, and um, so the genesis was getting these jurisdictions together, getting them in a room and letting them talk because they found out that uh, there are common issues in masonry um, and that there are these good ideas that are out there. Now, I think 1949, when this conference started, this is it's post-World War II. This is kind of the start where we call what our, our golden age of um, you know fraternalism. Supposedly guys were joining in numbers. Now, I want you to think about what happens in most lodges when you are raising 300 or so people a, uh, um, a year. How much education is a guy really getting? How much information is he really getting as he's going through the degrees? And what is interesting to me, if you look at the history of the conference, in many ways, it kind of mirrors a lot of what's happened in many Grand Lodge jurisdictions in terms of kind of first trying to define what education is, right. and then trying to see what, recognizing that there's a there's something missing, but that education, that'll solve that. So now education needs to be this. And so if you look at the origin, uh, what they did in the first part of that conference, it was, okay, um, well, we have all these guys who are going through, what, um, what are they getting? What should they be getting? What, how, do we, how, do we, how do we make good masons when we are raising 500 a year? And I'm just, I mean, that's a hyperbolic number. Um, but, and so when you look at the initial part of the conference, a lot of what they're looking at is going to be ritual interpretation, symbol, um, interpretation, kind of, kind of, um, extending the work that had come before when, you know, people, you know, when, when most of Islamic education at that point was either history or, you know, diving into interpreting the ritual that starts to change in about the sixties or seventies, when you look at what happens, um, with the conference and much more of the um, the work of the conference or at least the proceedings ends up being a lot more about the idea of leadership. Um, they're noticing that, um, they're noticing that there are holes in guys' education, that they make assumptions about what guys know or what should what they should know. You right. know? And so now they need to back up and like, well, how come these guys don't know that? Because nobody told them. And I go back to, you know, we're sending 500 guys through a year. Well, how come these guys don't know what the beehive is? Or why don't they know what the moral lessons are? How come they don't understand all the illusions in this, that, the other thing? When did anybody ever stop and tell them? How come these guys don't know how to run a lodge meeting? When did anybody ever teach them? Well, right. how come these guys can't, you know, they don't know the lecture? Does your jurisdiction have a written ritual that they've ever seen? Has anybody ever sat down and actually, and if you're mouth to ear at this point, which many jurisdictions were, at this point, has anybody ever sat and taught them this stuff? Well, no. Well, we need a we need an education committee. We need an we need a district lecturer or a grand lecturer or a grand education guy. That that guy, he needs to come in and he needs to do this stuff. And that's kind of a mode in education, and that kind of um, is a cycle you see in education up. I mean going forward. And the conference has sort of been the response to that. And if you look at the proceedings of the conference, you see that it really is these jurisdictions trying to 
redefine, reassess, um, get the best information out there, get the best ideas out there and find these solutions to these common problems. Right. Um, so um, if you think about many jurisdictions, if you have anything like code courses or correspondence courses um, on their officer's manual, if you have um, leadership or training manuals, if you have um, candidate counseling materials, by and large, you probably could, if you if you had a mem if your jurisdiction was in some way tied to this conference, probably those ideas came out of this conference in some way, shape, or form. And that, I mean, that's really neat to think about. And you touched on a cool aspect there about, especially through the years of trying to figure out just what Masonic education is. <laughs> and it, it kind of makes me think of one of the special aspects that I know you guys in the conference do is, is allow the different jurisdictions represented to kind of talk about what their current programs are and what, what's going on as far as Masonic education within the jurisdictions. Historically, I think it would be so cool to be able to look back, maybe scary in some certain situations, uh, but to get that picture through the years of how that definition of Masonic education kind of ebbed and flowed from the different jurisdictions. My friend, I'm going to tell you that that's a rabbit hole that I'm currently in. It is a dangerous <laughs> place to be because I bet. You, um, and I'm working backwards. Um, I will tell you, uh, I'll tell you kind of where my rabbit hole is now. And now that I'm working backwards, it is becoming even all the more fascinating. One of the things you talked about the jurisdiction reports, and that's been really one of the most wonderful things about going through the archives of this conference is that we do ask that the jurisdictions get up and just sort of say kind of where they are and what they're doing. And that has been really nice. The problem that um, I found is that nobody ever asks the questions I want asked. I mean, they'll get it because mm -hmm. we all make assumptions, going back to the novel, we all assume that all masonry exists the way that exists in our lodge or our district or our jurisdiction. We just assume that that's the way that it is until we start talking to people and realize, well, wait, things are different. So when you look at the jurisdiction reports, at least for the last 10, 15 years, a lot of the viewpoint was just kind of getting up and saying, well, here's what we, we are doing here in Ohio, but it wasn't, or, you know, Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Manitoba, wherever it wasn't standardized. And so it was really hard to get a, a bird's eye view of what was going on. So last year, what we did is for lack of a better word, we standardized the jurisdiction reports. And I ended up calling all of the, Grand Lodge education officers, remember jurisdictions, and just talking to them on the phone and taking those notes and creating a one sheet on each jurisdiction. And a lot of it is just the demographics. How big are you? How many lodges? Okay. Do you have proficiencies? Proficiencies is a whole other conversation that we can talk about because, <laughs> again, well, no, here's why. Um, and it's kind of, this kind of goes back to the conference. Seriously, I'm going to be like a squirrel today. I'm really apologize. No, you're um, good. But this, this is one of those things like you start talking and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you got to know this. This is really neat. This is really neat. You can you can tie the, I don't say devaluing, but the, um, the changing of proficiencies to this conference and the Conference of Grand Masters about 25 years ago. And I'm trying to find exactly where it happened because I, but I haven't been able to find it yet. Something happened where very shortly thereafter, um, we saw the rise of the one day class, which presented its own challenges. And jurisdictions were saying that the two biggest obstacles to entry in masonry were time and memorization. And then they threw it to the education committees to figure out, well, what do you do? How do you make masonry quicker? And how do you do things, you know, to to lower the barrier to entry? And so we start seeing, you know, short form proficiencies. We start seeing, um, we start seeing some jurisdictions absolutely do away with um, 
uh, ritual proficiencies. We see some the rise of ultimate proficiencies. And then what we're also seeing in the last three to five years, again, through this conference, is now the discussion of bringing those back. Recognize, recognizing that the point of ritual proficiencies isn't just teaching them the ritual, it's teaching, it's making those meaningful connections. It's a means to an end. It's a means to educate somebody about what it means to be a man, and to be a mason, to be a human being. That ritual isn't an end in of itself, it's, it's, it's a means. And so right. now it's becoming valuable. Anyway, your original point was this definition of education throughout the years. And it goes back to the idea of what tends to happen is all of a sudden um, a grand life recognizing that there is a hole that they've made some assumption about their about their membership, about what they know or what they can do. And uh, they realize all of a sudden, oh wait, they can't do that. So now um, that's where education gets redefined. The And that constant redefinition has been really interesting, again, going back to this jurisdictional report, because all these jurisdictions are struggling with a definition of what it, education really is. What is right. its purpose? What is its definition? How do you, how do you get it to your brethren? Um, and those jurisdictional reports, when we did the one pages to look at proficiencies, how they're structured, what are their initiatives? How do they mentor their candidates? Once we can actually, as silly as it sounds, take those one sheets and spread them out on a table and look at these common patterns and look at what different jurisdictions are doing, it is really fascinating what's happening in Masonic education right now. The depth and breadth of what is happening um, to solve common problems, but in individual ways. You're mm -hmm. also seeing, again, different... Um, different tactics uh, in different jurisdictions. Um, right. It's, I mean, again, it's just fascinating to see what people are doing. Well, so, so I'd ask you this because I remember when you were making those calls and I mean, what, what an amazing opportunity to get to have those conversations on that level throughout all the jurisdictions. But I question this in your calls, did it come up how many jurisdictions in the U S define Masonic education? I know of about five, um, and uh, I think I wrote two of them. So, um, which is much more arrogant coming out of my mouth than I thought. But anyway, um, well, no, because because I, I ask because you know here in Kansas we we've got it on the books that you're forgetting the verbatim of it. You're yeah. banned from having any education and lodge that is not Masonic education. Right. That's all you can have. Masonic education. So what's Masonic education. We don't define what Masonic education is. <laughs> so, so there, there's a bit of an issue there. I've heard, I think it was the guys over on TMR. We're talking about in Virginia. Uh, they define it as everything outside of the ritual. Uh, and you know, it's probably more elegantly worded than that, it's but essentially you're expected to know the ritual. This is, this is what you're expected to know. Education is learning everything beyond that, essentially what the ritual means. And I, I love that aspect because I think too many jurisdictions get held up just on the fact of you need to learn the words perfectly. That's all that matters. You can memorize words, but they don't mean a whole lot if you don't know what they mean. Well, and I have, a, I have a, a whole theory beyond on that as well. But you know, and but it's relatively a crackpot theory. But <laughs> um, you're absolutely right. And what's interesting is if you the definition of of Masonic education changes. Um, and what's interesting is that when you talk to different jurisdictions, it's almost like. Was it Justice Brandeis who said, I don't know what, you know, pornography is, but I know it when I see it. A lot of the definitions, a lot of the conversations you have with people, especially at that Grand Lodge level, like, well, okay, well, what do you guys think Masonic education is? They can tell me what it isn't. Um, mm. And I can say, okay, well, um, if I have, if I have brethren who are um, 
if I get the brethren together and we're going to have them go and build these benches for the local, you know, to fix in the local park, is that Masonic education? No, 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 that's not Masonic. That's not Masonic education. Why not? Well, Masonic education, it has to do with, you know, Masonic values. But isn't that putting Masonic values into action? Well, uh, then you say things like, well, um, they say to you, well, Masonic education, you know, that, that that's the key to membership. You know, Masonry is a membership problem. And education is key. Perfect. That's awesome. I totally agree with you. So what do you mean by that? What What should our Masonic educators be doing? Well, they should be calling guys who have stalled in their degree work, and they they should be calling and getting those guys into into lodge. Right, right. That's like education. Wait. So, well, everyone in masonry loves the slogans, right? Like we're really good at throwing these fancy lines out there with not much to back it, and I can think of a couple degrees just in my personal experience where you know. The guy just gets, you know, it's probably an initiation if I'm thinking back. So he just gets his EA. And at the end of it, he's, you know, asking this or that. And I specifically remember one of the, you know, senior past masters just puts his hand on his shoulder. Oh, you'll learn. When? And that, that was it. When? Who's who's <laughs> going to teach him? Right. I just remember the lost look in this guy's in his eye. I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> That's again, your opportunity I, right there. I think that was one of the things that I got out of doing that during the jurisdictional reports and looking back at our proceedings in the conference was recognizing the assumptions that we make. And I'll be yeah. honest, in Ohio, one of the things that we realized was, you know, um, we did make a definition of uh, education that is fairly broad. And I'll get to that in a second. But okay. what we realized was that just on a basic level, we assume that our brethren know the ritual well enough to be able to teach it to a new candidate. We just make that assumption. Oh, they're a past master. They should know the ritual. Do you know how many phone calls that I get on a, on a weekly basis? Hey, Chad, uh, I'm looking at the ritual, page 26, line four, <laughs> word six. Like, yeah, uh, ritual. Uh, that is the word brethren, you know, and the so we had to kind of take a look at that and say, okay, if you're going to have we call them master craftsmen um, or candidate mentors in uh, okay. Ohio, like, okay, if you are a lodge education officer, sit your mentors or candidate counselors down and just say, can we just kind of go through the ritual? Because guys will never admit admit that they don't know a word. They'll call you. But they'll never admit you can just flat out ask them. Right. Hold a session where you actually review this. Make sure that they can actually teach just the baseline of the ritual. And then also, you know, we wanted to empower our candidate counselors to go beyond that. So that when you're, the guy you're mentoring says, well, what is this beehive? Why do we, why do we have that? What is that? What, do you, what does that mean to you? that our candidate counselors have something where they can say, well, let's talk about that symbol. Let's talk about what that means and why that's yeah. here. And so um, backing up a second to Ohio's definition, we went overly broad because um, in the discussions with other jurisdictions, um, some said that it was ritual, nothing else. Some said education was everything outside the ritual. Some said it had to be history. Some said it had to be, uh, the quote unquote, you know, esoteric stuff um, or the modern esoteric stuff, which seems to kind of marry, you know, whatever. Um, some said it had to be leadership. Some said it had to be, um, you know, we had one jurisdiction that uh, wanted education to be all about um, doing audit reports and treasurer's reports and secretary's reports. That was Masonic education. Like, okay. Um, so in Ohio, we made it overly broad because we recognize that Masonic education happens, can happen anywhere. And so our definition is that Masonic education is any activity properly framed that um, teaches a brother Masonic values um, and tenets 
and helps him learn how to incorporate them into his life. And we did that to uh, allow for those types of educational activities that, you know, that come out and that allow a lodge to tailor their education for the needs of their brethren. That, yeah, right. packing up boxes to send overseas to a, um, you know, to a National Guard unit, that can be Masonic education properly framed. And now, again, as, as a Grand Lodge Education Committee, how do we properly frame those events? But that's, that's Ohio and Ohio is weird. It's, it is a constant, um, it is a constant conversation in many jurisdictions in terms of what qualifies. And sometimes that is, that is due to the whim of a grandmaster. Sometimes that is just due to tradition. And one of the benefits of the conference has been recognizing that other jurisdictions do things differently and define things differently and wrestling with that definition and wrestling with what education is, what it can be and how you can use it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I think there's tremendous value in, I guess, kind of constantly wrestling with that. But there's also a side that I know RJ, who we were talking about earlier, has has brought this up a few times. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword. And, and the whole aspect is what RJ brings up is masonry is progressively becoming not masonry. Like everyone wants to make everything Masonic mm-hmm. these days, yeah. which is a very, very valid point. I see validity that you can make a lot of things correlate in masonry. Um, but I also definitely see the validity in a lot of guys are shoving squares in a circle hole. Well, I have two comments on that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. First is, um, I remember once uh, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin and um, there were you know a lot of religious people that were there. And I remember once that there, one of my buddies got really into the Greek and Roman myths. And okay. he was sitting there talking about Greek and Roman myths and noticing these parallels with, you know, um, Christian stories and, you know, was saying how much he really thought that, you know, obviously the Christian, uh, the Christian, you know, God must have supplanted the Greek and Roman gods. Like, you know, that, of all those battles of supremacy, obviously like Jesus came in and kicked out Zeus and, and I'm like, well, you really want that to be true because that's what you believe. And so a lot of times when you things you're talking about, there are guys who they found something that works for them and they really want to make it fit and they really want to make it. Right. Work. And I get right. that. Um, I, uh, brother Joe Martinez, who, uh, you uh, again, one of those guys. So I think he runs the White Castles. Yeah, um, yeah, and um, I think if you remember right, he owns a he owns a few comic book shops up and down the Eastern Seaboard. Anyway, um, he he and I were talking once, and there, in my opinion, there's only so many ways you can really understand your world, and um, there's only we're all trying to figure out a way that the world understand the way the world works and where we fit in it and how the world works. And so there's only so many ways you can do that. I mean, this is whole basically Joseph Campbell. And so um, of course you're going to see similarities in, you know, picket, you know, the men's movement, religion, tarot, Kabbalah, I don't know, French cooking, whatever you decide that you, you know, helps you understand your world. Yes. Cavs brains and Julia Child will help you, you know, revolutionize your world. Um, you're going to see these similarities because it's all about that human experience. Mm, yeah. And I mean, and that's, I mean, again, that's where I agree with you and kind of going back again to the conference, this is kind of weird looking through the proceedings. You do see many years where guys are doing that kind of thing with education where they are trying to make, you know, Masonic education is, is, you know, let me talk about the work of Julia Child and how that actually, you know, fits with Anderson's constitutions. And it's, it's a, 
it's neat, but. And so what we're seeing now is we are seeing this, um, we're seeing a movement more towards, in some ways, a broader, but also a tighter definition of Masonic education. And that's, I mean, okay. it's, and I'm going to have to do this in a weird metaphor. So bear with me. Sure. Um, and I may have used, said this before on the show. I think I may have when we were talking about like uh, personalizing masonry. So um, you have the story of Hamlet. Okay. And there are moral lessons and there are um, ethical lessons. And there's some great conversations to be had around the, the story of Hamlet. Okay. So what is more important? Is it more important that this group of ninth graders, that they understand the story of Hamlet and they understand those lessons and those values and those, and they have those conversations that they can have in Hamlet, or is it more important that they see Shakespeare's telling of Hamlet, which requires more work and requires more effort and requires a different set of skills. Both are valid, but it depends on what, your goal is. And so the argument is, okay, so if masonry is a progressive moral science, right, that we are going to be teaching certain morals, certain values, certain tenets, certain ways of understanding our world, then is it important that they learn the classic seven liberal arts and sciences? It's important that they read Plato and Cicero and, you know, Mackey and, you know, Hell, throw Coach Nagy in there too, just because you know. Is it important that that he reads all those people just so they can understand the ritual, so you can understand you know what those lessons are, or do you find modern parallels, modern classics, modern ways to connect that guy to the ritual, which is really a way for us to you know to teach those lessons and values and and everything. And so it's a tighter focus in that the focus should be on communicating those valuable lessons and tenets, but it's broader in that a lot should be able to find a way to make those connections personal, relevant to the brethren, which is probably paradoxical as all get out. But one of the benefits of the conference is we're trying different things along those lines. Is there a way that we can tighten the focus, but we can expand the the medium? We can expand the way that we do this. Um, and hell, we could be wrong. We could, I mean, and we can find out that maybe you know what we should go back to reading Cicero and Plato and Anderson and Mackey and all those people, and that's what we should be doing things. But but you have to try, right? Right. Um, and sometimes what you recognize is that you learn a lot doing, the, you learn a lot, uh, when you do uh, something wrong, you learn a lot yeah. when you're like, wow, that toy didn't work anyway. Um, but this all came back to your, your question about 40 minutes ago about, <laughs> about what we're doing differently in the conference. And somebody goes kind of back to that. It COVID made us do things online. And so we had to sure. read think how we did that, which has been wonderful. Um, we took a year off because of COVID. We came back in Missouri. And uh, again, that's when we started doing it. A lot of the conference used to be jurisdictions standing up and doing their jurisdictional reports. Um, and then there were like big, huge speakers who would, who would go and speak. Um, and we got away from that. We still had the big, huge, you know, world-class speakers, and those were fun. But we put a lot out on a Google Drive saying, you read this beforehand before you get here. Mm, and what okay. wanted to happen was that you, you know, when you came to the conference, you'd look at those jurisdiction reports and see that Ohio has this thing called the Royal Schoolfield Society, which is a progressive task-based, you know, um, educational honor society based on and making connections. So you hear about that. If you see somebody with Ohio on their name tag, you take them aside and talk to them. If you hear that Minnesota has this phenomenal Minnesota, you know, uh, light program. If you hear that Michigan has a phenomenal YouTube 
presence, if Indiana is doing a, a great um, drip campaign, if Wisconsin is being Wisconsin, if you, I mean, if you hear, um, you know, Kansas, I mean, the Kansas, the KSLOR about what those guys are doing, or uh, that you'd find those guys and take them aside. Because we recognize that so much of those conferences, so much of the benefit of those conferences isn't just the speakers. It's those unstructured events where you do grab a guy, sit at a table and say, could you just, I see here that you're doing, you're, you're bringing proficiencies back. You know, you didn't have them for 20 years and now you're bringing these back. Could you tell me like how you did that or why you're doing right. things? Um, that's the benefit. And that's, um, and that benefit can't just be limited to quote unquote, the guys at the table, the guys who have the yeah. fancy aprons and the titles, because you got to have the guys there who are at the street level and the district level and the lodge level and the individual level, because like I said, there's amazing ideas out there and amazing things being done, but they may just most definitely. You know, it, it makes me think, and, and before I get onto that thought, uh, brother Mark is, uh, sending me a message here and uh -huh. he actually corrected me. It was 2017 and where's the camera and, oh, geez, 2017 in Topeka, Kansas, oh. uh, brother Mark and Bill actually drove all the way down from Nebraska and, uh, came to see me give my talk there, but you see that guy in Canton, I've, <laughs> right? I've, they get, I've, they get around, they get around. They do. No, so um, we're, we're talking yeah. about seeing these different programs, seeing these guys with the name tag, going to pull them over. And that's a beautiful point to touch on. And I think maybe one of the glory spots of a conference like this, because I think we often forget that we're all on that same mission at different points, at, at, at different attempts. But I think in any walk of life, you know, whether it's, your profession, your church, whatever, like we're all in this race of like, well, look what my church is doing. Look what my lodge is doing. Look what my office is doing. And we're all fighting each other on trying to be, you know, number one or trying to do, you know, the next best thing. And so many of us are trying to reinvent the wheel along the way when, as you're sitting here mentioning, you know, Michigan's killing it in this way, Ohio's killing it in this way. And if we could come together and have that conversation, imagine how far we could go as Freemasonry and not just as Kansas, as Ohio, as Michigan, as California. So be it. Um, and I'm not going to name the jurisdictions because it's, it's not my story to tell. Um, I mean, the Royal Scottville Society in Ohio is a whole other story. I mean, how we do things and why we do, why, why we did it that way. Granted, we borrowed it from, we borrowed, if I think from Maryland and I think brought it to somebody else, we took it and kind of personalized it. It is this progressive task-based, um, it's an educational honor society, but it's really about identifying your, your, what masonry means to you and where you fit in masonry. And there's, it, right. it's a thing. Um, there are other jurisdictions who are interested in that. And I've been able to really just kind of, send them a Google doc and Google folder. There have been other things absolutely that um, Ohio has seen other jurisdictions do and they've been able just to kind of send us an email or send us a package of stuff because they've already done the work and now they've been nice enough to, to share it and you know we just kind of cross out Nebraska and write in Ohio or we you know but it's already been tried and tested and it's already been um, a lot of the kinks have already been there. A lot of the heavy lifting has already been done and now we can try it too. And that's how we sort of move education forward or move the needle more towards that viewpoint of, you know, of tightening the focus of education, but broadening the, the medium of it. And I want to back up just a real quick second. Um, yeah. Yeah further illustrate a point, but also you talked about sort of your own really great um, moment of the conference. Mine was absolutely by accident, but it absolutely changed my life. And I, I want to mention it just because um, it really just meant it, it illustrates that idea of kind of unstructured, structured type of activity. So um, 
I went there with uh, most of us Charlie Murphy, past grandmaster. We were there representing Ohio. I gotten up and I'd done my jurisdiction report and you can see it online. And I look a lot like Kingpin from the Daredevil series. It's really kind of you know weird to look at me back then. Um, we had a speaker at that point in time and he couldn't get his computer to work. And so we had dead space. And so everyone's kind of kind of looking around like, oh, what do we do? And I think it was Ed Rund was up there. And I said, listen, I got a, I got a presentation that I did for uh, one of our traveling Masonic roadshows, one of our like pop-up events that we do in Ohio. If you want someone to kill some time for 15 minutes, let me just do this. I, I got it. It's right here. I'll just do it. And they're like, do, go, make, be, you know. And it was a style of presentation called a, a Pecha Kucha. And um, I'd modified it masonically. A typical Pecha Kucha is um, 20 images on screen for 20 seconds each, and you tell a story. Right. I did 30 images, 30 seconds each, and I told the story of um, how Freemasonry helped me be a um, – a better father to a, to a child with autism. I kind of mm. with my own okay. stuff and then deal, you know, help deal with her stuff. Yeah. And I did it thoroughly just to like fill time. But it was that presentation that got me, that kind of broke down the walls. And now I am sitting and talking to that contingency from Illinois, you know, RJ and, right. and Duval and Chad Lasick. And I think Spencer Hamlin was there. And, through them, I got to meet you and got to meet, you know, uh, good old Captain Bucky, Jim Buckhorn from, you know, from Indiana and all those guys. And so just that it was a serendipitous moment, but that started those conversations and started those connections. And that's, again, it, and I'm sort of a zealot for this, that we can't limit it to the guys who are already at the table. If we are at the table we kind of owe it to Masonic education. We owe it to the fraternity. We owe it to everybody else to put another chair there and yeah. somebody else there because I could be wrong. Um, and I tell everybody in the world that the most dangerous place in Ohio Masonry is a room where everybody thinks that everything I do is brilliant. And so getting those dissenting voices and getting those other voices there because the ideas get better, the more they get tested, the more they get talked about. I feel like I've been talking forever. I'm sorry. Well, we've been going on about 97 minutes now. Really? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no it, it, it's fantastic. But I, I, I do want, while we still got a little time, because yep. we've, we've covered the history and the basis of this event, but we have another event coming up very, very soon. So I'd like to talk about <laughs> the now, what okay. you guys have planned now, and where you see this going in the future. Um, okay. It's going to be uh, April 28th, 29th, and 30th at the Canton Masonic Temple in Canton, Ohio. Um, if you've never seen the Canton Masonic Temple, it's huge. It's gorgeous. Um, district advisor in that area, Eric Mullenbein, is helping you know, do some phenomenal work. What we've tried to do unofficially and I decided to do officially um, this conference is give it a theme, give it a question we're going to answer. Um, and so the theme for this year's conference is the idea of an intentional masonry. How do we enlighten and empower lodges to craft a unified lodge experience that reflects what is unique and valued about masonry. And there's a lot in that question to unpack. Enlighten and empower. I mean, I think we all know that um, we've all seen kind of this McDonald's franchise model of masonry, where we get the monolithic idea from Grand Lodge that masonry is this, all lodges must do this, this is what education is, this is what it needs to be. And trying to get away from that enlightening lodges that <clears throat> this is what they can do and empowering them, giving them the support they need to be able to do these sorts of things. A unified lodge experience that what they're doing is crafted, that there is a reason behind what they're doing. Everything from, you know, um, ritual to non-ritual stuff. 
do their actions reflect their values? And if not, then let's reevaluate either our values or our actions as a lodge. Um, how do we do that? Because we had, we do have entire jurisdictions, entire districts that are kind of waiting for Grand Lodge to come save them. So how do we give them the tools to identify their values, identify uh, what's unique and important to them? How do we support them in crafting that unique lodge experience? Um, the um, what people have heard me say time and time again is that you know guys will drive eight hours to go to Christmas dinner when all that really is is turkey and you know green beans when they wouldn't cross the street for badly prepared filet mignon. That's kind of the way it should be with masonry. Guys will support a really phenomenal experience that is intentional, that is meaningful, that is unique, that it has value to it when they wouldn't cross the street for something that isn't there. And so the sessions that we have are going to be um, different tactics, different ideas, different thoughts about empowering and enlightening lodges, about different ways you can make a unified um, lodge experience um, and how you can sort of feature those values and what's unique. And uh, on the website, we have um, the current um, list of speakers. We've got a lot going on. And in fact, we have too much going on, which is intentional on, um, on my part, truthfully, because I want there to be so much going on that you have to choose. I also want there to be so much going on that it is okay if you have to miss a uh, one of our planned sessions because you're too busy talking to the Kansas contingency about what about what they're doing or the Ohio contingency about what they're doing. Um, we're trying to facilitate those uh, those connections and try to facilitate um, both structured and unstructured educational opportunities. I love that. That sounds fantastic. And I think, I mean, I know that I sent you the list and we have um, one night we're actually doing uh, a Masonic game for lack of a better word. It's okay. our way of getting people into the Canton temple. Um, we're writing sort of a, like a Dan Brown mystery game where teams are going to be looking for clues to solve the, you know, the mystery in the Canton temple. And that'll be kind of a fun social thing. Um, we have, um, Alex Herbert has written a wonderful guide, at least for Ohio ritual about incorporating, um, religious traditions you may not be, um, familiar with. So that process and, you know, some tools for that. We have Chris Busby coming down. Um, he's been doing some amazing work. And I think we talked about, um, he is getting his people to incorporate elements from theater, some of the basics from theater, but nice. also using that to have that discussion with a lodge about what is important in ritual. What is important that we convey here? How do we create, mm -hmm. you know, like a unified performance? How do we create a unified conferral of our degrees? Um, one of the sessions that I think would be boring as all get out, actually two of them I think would be boring as all get out, but as I've talked to people about them, the ones that they're the most excited about. One is, uh, we're calling it applied education. How, okay. Know, uh, but they can't keep the lights on. We've all sat there and, you know, in those discussions, we have a lot that says, you know, I can't get the lodge open. I can't get eight guys to show up. And now you want me to talk about, you know, Mackie and Webb and, you know, the symbolism of the trowel. Right. You got to tell me how I get, you know, guys in here. We all know education is the key, but then what kind of education? Yada yada yada. So I think Chris Greasy who's gonna lead that discussion and guys are like, I'm going to that. Because I also know knowing Chris that people are gonna leave that discussion with a boatload of ideas and a boatload of you know a toolbox. And the other session I think is really boring, but again, guys are like, I am going to that. We're calling it the three books every blank Mason should read. And what we're doing is we're going to break guys up by table. We're going to say, okay, what are the three books every esoteric Mason should read? You guys discuss it. And then you know what? 
you put your list up there and we're going to, you know, discuss it. Over there. Nice. What should every weekend Mason read? What should every leadership Mason read? And we're running that a couple of times over the conference. And I know that the reason why guys want to do that is because they want that list. I mean, imagine what you can do if you have that list to go back to your lodge and say, oh, you're a master Mason, your interest, Mason this one. Dr. Heather Calloway is going to be there from the Center for Research. Um, we are doing a session on um, chambers of reflection, our personal efficiency. And I realize we're getting to the end of time, but I want to talk about something we're doing that I think will be interesting in terms of leading into the notion of uh, a structured, unstructured activity. Definitely. Our Ohio Lodge of Research is doing something that, uh, first off, they have a room open the entire time. Just if guys have something that they are interested in, you know, research, they want some help that the OLR guys are going to be there. But they have something that, that we're calling lightning talks. And I, the joke that I'm saying is that it's kind of like Masonic open mic night. If you okay. have a presentation that you have, that maybe it's finished, maybe it's not, maybe it's something that you've always wanted to put in front of an audience, but you had that opportunity, again, formed, half formed. You can just like, well, I'm kind of thinking about this. Great. Come, bring it to the conference. You can sign up for a 15-minute spot, and you can get up on that stage, and you can present whatever you got, you know, whatever form it's in, and we'll have an audience there who will give you honest and open feedback on your idea and help you develop that idea. Is it going to work? I have no idea, but it'll be interesting. Maybe we'll find some good speakers on it. Maybe we'll find some good ideas. Who knows? And that's one of the things that the conference has sort of been leading into is that we've, we're trying to do some new things to see again. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Last year, we did a roundtable with all of the like the grand muckety mucks from the different jurisdictions and put them at a table with the idea of letting those guys talk and letting everybody else ask them questions. It sort of worked. It sort of didn't work. Right. But at least we tried it. Um, there are a number of things that are going to be happening at this um, at this session. And with the whole idea being come there, bring your ideas, make those connections, leave with a toolbox full of ideas that you can bring back to your jurisdiction. And if you don't have um, you know, a, a boatload of tools in your toolbox, at least you've made some meaningful connections. Some guys you know in your own jurisdiction or other jurisdictions, so that as you sit there and toil in the quarry of Masonic education, you know you're not alone. And that, that. is a huge benefit to the conference. You know, it's it's fantastic that you guys are going that route. And, you know, some of the stuff is scary to do because we're all trying to make events that are uh, amazing and knock your socks off and trying these things that like, ah, it may work and it could be amazing or it may not. But when we're talking about masonry, something where we're trying to go in general from a rough ashlar to a more perfected ashlar, there's got to be this trial and error. And it's refreshing to see that you guys are, are willing to like, let's find what works and make this amazing. Like, it's not just a now thing. This is a, like, this is the path we're on and not just, uh, yeah, let's just, you know, do something to do it and put it on the books and, you know, we did it. I'm out of the chair. Someone else can deal with it now. Cause we see that so often. So often. Um, Masonic education thrives in connection and dies in isolation. Yes. I mean, and part well of said. the educational process has to be running absolutely into a wall face first and bouncing off of it. It's amazing <laughs> what you learn when you pick yourself up, right? What's I mean, what, fall down seven times, you know, get up eight. I cannot tell you as uh, in my past life, teaching high school in my current life, you know, whatever the hell it is I do, um, that, man, I make mistakes. And sometimes just things don't work. But it's amazing what I learned from that. Um, in my mind, and something that I try to teach my daughter and try to teach the students I work with and the lodges I work with, that failure is only a destination if you stop. Otherwise, it's just a valuable part of the process. I think I've said that to you in the past too. And it, it 
So as a conference, we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work, well, we'll regroup and we'll move forward. Right. So, um, Fantastic. Well, my brother, I want to give you an opportunity to shout out how people can get a hold of that and everything, but we sure. are at the top of the hour. So before we get to that, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind giving us a toast this evening? Uh, sure. And uh, do you mind if I tell, you know, what, what are you toasting with, if I may ask? Oh, I am still working through some uh, Jack Daniels from the last MasonicCon, Kansas. <laughs> oh, that's and, awesome. uh using um, a uh, toasting cannon from our last table lodge here in Kansas. Excellent. Uh, I, my wife was in the mood for some uh, gas station wine. And so I actually went and got gas station wine, including Fantastic. this lovely orange, uh, orange something MD 2020 that I have in a Garfield glass. And I think that that is absolutely appropriate. Um, Pretty much. Something, you know, both strong and, you know, slightly off kilter. Um, <laughs> a toast. Um, huh. To our failures. Because uh, may they be bright, beautiful, big, and educational. So that next time, our successes are bright, big, beautiful, and educational to our failures to our failures cheers oh that's disgusting why did i <laughs> oh dear sweet christmas that comes straight from the diesel pump or oh <laughs> you know, um back in college we would buy this stuff and like you know it, it was like a dollar 97 for the 40 and so we there were times you're like walking to the gas station looking for pennies on the street so you can get to that buck 97. Right. Yeah. I, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't know why I, so <laughs> I'm not a sponsor of your show by any chance, are they? So I'm like thoroughly like messing up your sponsorship. No, not at all. Okay. Good. <laughs> Dear sweet Christmas. Oh, okay. Anyway. Um, the website is, uh, MCME 1949.org. Um, and so, if you are an individual or you are, you know, a lodge a jurisdiction, you can actually join the conference, which means that you have voting rights and you can help plan the direction of the conference. The conference itself. Um, so on the website, that's how you can join the conference as a member. There is a link on the website that will take you to registering for the conference. Um, so if you go back um, and look at the conference that will take you to Eventbrite, which will help you, you know, give you the, the information on registering, uh, for, oh, they showed the coin. I'll tell the story of the coin in a second. Um, <laughs> that shows you the, um, uh, so if you click on the Eventbrite, it will take you to a place where you can register for the conference and, you know, for your hotel. And so you don't have to join the conference as a member. You get a discount by it. It also means that you get to, again, have voting rights and you get to help plan that. Um, we are, we're trying to open it up to different educational entities, you know, like Castle Island Virtual Lodge. I mean, right. we need them. We need them there because they're doing different things in education and theirs is a voice that needs to be heard. You know, I need, Alex Herbert and Robert Johnson and, and, and Jason Laramie from Wisconsin and, you know, the traveling man podcast, Jim Hall. I need, I need them there because they're, I need you there uh, because these are different voices in education that we should be there so we can learn from that because you know, education doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, but they can go to the website, go to the Eventbrite, register. I mean, please come. Um, because again, this is, I think one of the only remaining, uh, Grand Lodge sponsored and supported, uh, education conferences. Um, I don't, I believe there's still one in new England, um, or, but I, um, I haven't heard from them in a while. So I don't, I don't uh, know if they're still around and that's, that's on me. So, um, did I send you one of these coins? Have I have I been neglectful in my duties about sending you one of these coins? I no, no, I have not. All right. So uh this is the story behind the coin. 
there's a gentleman in Ohio. Um, his name was uh, Chad Simpson. He's no, no longer with us. This was his idea. Um, and I told the story before, and I'll tell it to anybody who hears it. So I will send this to you. His idea was that um, there should be a true challenge coin associated with um, the, uh, the conference. And so on one side, it says, you know, Midwest Conference. On the back, it says Solomon's Repast. And it has, it's a royal summons. Chad's idea was that the way that you earned this coin was by not keeping it. So mm -hmm. that if you got this coin, that meant that you were a guy who had the seat at the table. You were you were a mover and shaker. So on your honor, we're telling you the way that you're going to earn this coin is you're going to get. You already have your dinner with King Solomon. Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to summon to have a pass with King Solomon? And so. I sent out probably about 50 of these. I got another 50 that I'd love to send out to people. You know, again, it's on your honor. But um, like I said, for those of us who are lucky enough to be able to possibly move the needle in Masonic education or who have a seat at the table in Masonic education, it is incumbent upon us from time to time to put another chair at the table, to make the table bigger. So that because there are so many voices out there that aren't being heard and so many ideas out there that need to be uh, need to be shared. So, yeah, I'll send you one. I'll, hell, I'll send you five. <laughs> but again, and the way that and the way that you earn this is you get your coin back from the person you brought with you to the conference in Canada. So, That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Brother, thank you. It's an idea. It's an experiment. We'll see what happens. I, I love it. It's a great idea. And I think it's going to go well for you. My thank brother, you I want to thank you so way. much for coming on this evening. You have really brought a different light of uh, this event that I haven't been able to explore before. So to hear the history, the now, the future uh, is really quite amazing. And I think you guys have something really, really special going on here uh, that I hope to see continue for years. Thank you. So, I'm hopeful. So, and um, again, thank you for having me on here. I mean, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always a pleasure to, to, to be here. Um, and um, yeah, I can't thank you enough for your friendship, support, um, being somebody that I can bounce ideas off of. And I can't thank you enough for what you do for education, uh, both in your jurisdiction and around the country. I mean, it's education is no longer limited by the lodge uh, wall and guys like you and guys like some of our friends and guys like, you know, it's amazing what you're doing. And I'm so proud that, you know, to, and so excited to see what you're doing. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you too, brother. You're doing some amazing things. So keep it up, brother. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Everyone that joined in live with us on YouTube and over on Facebook. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. Uh, I hope you guys will jump over to the website and we will get the link and everything in the comments below. Uh, it's going to be an amazing event, and I hope you guys can be there to partake in what is planned and what they're planning for the future. Be part of that movement and be that impact that goes back to your lodges, your jurisdictions with this information, and part of that larger movement to really bring masonry where it needs to be. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Until then, keep saving the history of Freemasonry. Have a great night.